Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The B-Side. It's a podcast for the Film Stage website. Uh, Here, as we always say, we talk about movie stars and filmmakers, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today, we're going back in time once more. We did it with Humphrey Bogart. Now we're doing it. With the one and only Catherine Hepburn, they starred together in The African Queen. We are not going to talk about that movie because that is an A-side. That's not why you're here. And as always, I'm with producer and very good friend, Connor O'Donnell. Connor, how are you in New York right now, my friend? I'm okay. I mean, if you want the honest answer, I am sweaty because I just got back from a a massive trip to the grocery store. How How was that? How did that go? Uh, it was actually okay. The one, the one in Queens near us has been doing a really great job. So actually shout out to all the grocery store workers out there. Amen, all doing buddy. Yeah, yeah. They're all, you know, they're all doing wonderful work and, uh, I feel like they get, they get lost in the conversation, but, uh, no, they've been doing like a really good job over there of like restocking stuff. So honestly, outside of the toilet paper, everything else sure. is basically as it should be now um we say we yeah. don't we don't like to linger on the virus on this podcast because we're imagining you come to this podcast to not uh think about that but i will nate well, i'm going to introduce you in a minute but how how's the jersey side of things in terms of grocery store management uh jersey's been good um they've been keeping social distance so you get lined up outside of the store you keep six feet apart and they let in, I think, a group of maybe 50 to 60 at a time. And uh, yeah, everything seems good inside. Like Connor said, the one thing that's lacking is like toilet paper and tissues. But we got a lot of fresh fruits and veggies. And um, yeah, everything else seems OK. Yeah, Pittsburgh's been great. Like I, I was saying to my wife, like I haven't yet had the like, I don't know. I don't know, like really stressful I don't know. Like you see the videos on social and you just kind of, you know, right. you know how it is. And like, obviously people are going through that, but you can't thank those. I mean, seriously, it's like, you can't thank those people enough at like whole foods and like, you know, like giant Eagle and a and whatever. Like, like my brother, shout out to Sam Mecca, if he's listening, he works at Wegmans and it's like, he, he tells me like, I mean, he's like front lines. It's crazy. Um, anyway. So thank you to all those people, obviously. So, Okay. You heard his voice already. We got Nate Washburn back, who we love. He was with us for Humphrey yeah. Bogart. Uh, he's kind of our resident classic Hollywood expert. He's a writer. He's, he's a writer and actor um, in New York and New Jersey, like we said. Um, he runs this amazing kind of online web series of sorts. Uh, you can see it on Facebook and YouTube and whatnot called The Classic Hollywood Movie You Should Know. Um, last time we recorded you were just wrapping up kind of your first, you know, whatever season, your first series of uh, videos on a, a slew of movies. Um, and then you took a little break because you were busy because you're very successful and you're writing and you're acting and doing a lot of stuff. And then obviously, <laughs> given the current state of affairs, things are kind of postponed and whatnot, you decided uh, to bring it back. And that was a welcome that was a welcome bit of news for me and Connor, of course, uh, because we love these movies and it spurred us to be like, let's reach out and see if we can just jump into like, you know, we're trying to diversify. Like, it's so easy when you do this, a show like this to like do 10 white dudes in a row because, you know, based on the patriarchy and the way the whole thing is with a lot of movie stars are your Ben Affleck's and your Harrison Ford's and, and we love them, but we, we really want to try to avoid falling into that rut. So we're talking Catherine Hepburn today. Um, mm-hmm. Who, 
In okay, so I want Nate. I want you to tell me your Catherine Hepburn, like how you came into it, because I, I, you, you know, your whole thing and how you discovered these movie stars. And sure, how you, you grown up with is great. I will say before that though, and maybe you can just use this as a response. I was in one way. Sort of Pro, I thought she had made more movies. If that sounds, that's it might it kind of sounds silly, but like she worked for so long and she has made so many movies. But I guess I like assumed she had made like a hundred movies. But really, it's like less than I don't know. It's like I don't know in the thirties, right? She wasn't. She basically made a movie a year for her whole career. So I guess where where did you discover her and like what's your I don't know history with her. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, thank you for having me back. And, um, yeah, to the tens of people who watch and follow the classic Hollywood movie, you should know, I want to thank everyone who does that. Um, (laughs) so Catherine Hepburn, what I, my intro to her, where I grew up in Connecticut, she lived about 10 minutes away. Oh, wow. Yeah. So famously she sort of had this house in old Sabre, Connecticut. I grew up in Clinton, Connecticut, and it was, at the end of this street, you could easily like drive by it. And she had a hand painted sign that said, please go away, which I thought was hilarious because <laughs> it was so polite. And yet, so please good. go away. Um, so please I, go away. Please go away. But I got introduced to her, I think mainly because maybe because she lived there. Like my parents, I can remember them talking about her being in the area uh, and so my parents were fans of old movies. We would watch the Philadelphia story or bring up baby or the African queen, the, 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 you know, greatest hits of sure. Catherine Hepburn when I sure, was young. Sure. And so that sort of was my intro to her. Um, and yeah, Connecticut pride right there. <laughs> yeah. But what's, what's, what I found interesting about her, sorry to cut you off for a second. No, no, no. So she did make a ton of movies from like 1933 until about like 1955. And what I love about her is she returned to the stage. That's one right. of the reasons why she, she like, you know, the late fifties and sixties and seventies, there's a lot of years where she doesn't have a credit on IMDb. And it's because she was doing stage work, which I give her a lot of credit. She did a lot of Shakespeare. She did a lot of Eugene O'Neill. Like she was, she was doing it. Yeah. You're totally right. I'm looking right now and you're right. Basically from 32, to like the end of the fifties, she's basically, yeah, crushing it. And then after that, she's kind of back in the theater more. She starts doing TV movies here and there, you know, when everybody was kind of doing them. Um, yeah. Connor, uh, in your best Captain Hepburn impersonation for about 20 seconds, uh, what was the first Captain Hepburn movie you ever saw? Do you, do you know? Well, Daniel, I, <laughs> Catherine Hepburn, will tell you that uh, I think the first movie that Connor saw of me was probably Philadelphia Story, likely right. somewhere in high school or college. Kate <laughs> uh, Blanchett, I deserve welcome to, to the I podcast. To be, yeah, right. I deserve to be drawn and quartered. Oscar um, winner Kate Blanchett for that. Which I will say, I've said, I feel like I've said this before on the podcast, The Aviator is my favorite Scorsese movie and one of my favorite Agreed. movies Agreed. ever. I love The Aviator. Wow. I love, love The Aviator. And I love, I I think this is going to sound crazy. Um, and I guess while we're talking about Kate Blanchett for two seconds, shout out to a podcast we love, Sundays with Kate. Uh, yes. Which they do great work and they're Kate Blanchett specific. And we love that. Um, 
I have not listened. And I will say this. I have not listened to their Aviator episode because of my fear that they don't like it and I love it so much. So I am it's like, a, a, I feel like people, it's a mixed bag on that performance. Do you like the Aviator, uh, Nate? Do you like it, that movie? I I do. I, I feel... I'm about 75% in on that movie. There's there's a bit that I think they sort of amped up just for dramatic purposes. Sure. Um right. like I mean it's DiCaprio. He he's always an, he gives a great performance and just, you know, he's reliable. He's one of those guys that you know the movie's going to be good, his performance is going to be top-notch. I think they kind of overdid a little bit of the Howard Hughes craziness. Yes, he was eccentric. Yes, he was a germaphobe. Yes, he did all of this stuff. But it really got amped up from what I've read about like early Hollywood stuff later in life. I feel like they they brought it on sooner sure. just to sort of like make the movie more interesting. Because right. he was like the ultimate stud because he had money. He was a handsome guy. He was he was not that like I, I just feel like actresses would have stayed away if he was that you know, freaky guy who wouldn't touch a bathroom door. I will say my favorite performance in that movie. I mean, I, I would say, I, I think that's still my favorite Leo performance. If I'm being honest, that in catch me if you can, or right up there. But I think my favorite performance in the movie is uh Kate Beckinsale, Ava Gardner. I love her in that movie. I feel like she I really always thought she was, I thought she was kind of miscast. See, I don't, that's that interesting. I know I've heard that. She just doesn't, she looks nothing like Ava Gardner. Eh, she sounds nothing I like feel Ava like Gardner. The eyes, I don't know. I, I, I always appreciate actors who, uh, t- cause it's interesting cause they're in the same movie where it's like Kate Blanchett is doing a, really good impersonation of Catherine Hepburn and it's n- nothing yeah. against the performance. I, I think it's a great performance. What I was going to say earlier is weirdly, that was the most lauded performance. And when I first saw the aviator, that was the performance I liked the least, but obviously as I've gotten older, I've kind of learned the error of my ways in that, but it's interesting because you're right, Connor. It's like her performance is like an impersonation of Catherine Hepburn, like a rendering. Right. And then yeah. Eva Gardner is like that thing, which I like when people do this, She's taking like the soul of the of the person, right? And, like it's like reinterpret- a, it's like a Joaquin Phoenix Johnny Cash thing, exactly. Where it's, it's more like, like he that, looks nothing right. like him, he sounds nothing like him, but he just like evokes him. Yeah, and that's what I think. In some capacity, Beckinsale is doing in that. And then, quick shout out to like a really I love Gwen Stefani as um what what's her she, name? Uh, Jean Harlow. Jean Harlow. She's Jean Harlow. Harlow. Yeah. I love her like two scene performance in that movie um yeah but anyway sorry enough this has been our episode yeah, on the exactly. thanks for joining yes. yeah, exactly. <laughs> check out check out sundays with kate um but anyway um Catherine hepburn so yeah to your point she's crushing it 30s 40s 50s moves back to the stage obviously still has a presence she makes some of her best movies right guess who's coming to dinner the line in winter yeah uh, later on in life yeah even on golden pond got a lot of notices i think it's aged a little I, I think some of it's aged okay. Some of it hasn't. Um, there's some amazing scenes uh, in On Golden Pond. Uh, and yeah, then our last movie that. we brought up briefly when we did our Warren Beatty episode, Love Affair, is a crazy movie that's like a soft remake of uh, An Affair to Remember, which was a remake, oh, I think, right. of a movie called Love Affair. Right? It's like a, an oft-remade movie. Sleepers in Seattle is essentially a version of that as well, right? Um, yeah. She's in it for a scene um there's different accounts of how like with it she was there's accounts that Warren Beatty wasn't very nice to her but then obviously he says he you know it's this whole it was a weird last performance for her but um it is a lovely five minutes if you ever watch that movie right in the middle she plays I think like 
I think she plays like Warren Beatty's grandmother or something like that. Um, anyway, that was her final performance. Um, Connor, so you saw what did you say? What would you, uh, Philadelphia story? Okay. Philadelphia story so, was one of the first I remember, but all right. There was also, and I feel like I never watched this movie in full until at least high school or college, but I do remember my dad having on in some kind of a rotation, The Lion in Winter. Like right, that's like, right. which I, I like. For, Interesting. Yeah, I like for, specifically the one that like me and like family friends would always joke about or, or pepper into conversation was the, of course he has a knife. He always has a knife. We all have knives. It's 1183 and we're all barbarians. Uh, I don't know. That's like the one line that I always, it's like baked into my consciousness. Now but, uh, we, so I was going to say talking about Philadelphia story, it's a good transition to our first movie. And we'll, I'll mention the four we're going to do today. So you have Sylvia Scarlet. Uh, in I believe thirty five is when it came out. Then you have Mary of Scotland yes. the next year, the John Ford movie, um, in which Kevin Hepburn plays Mary Stewart, Mary Queen of Scots. And then, um, then we're gonna do a little movie called Keeper of the Flame, which I love that title, Keeper of the Flame, nineteen forty two, Spencer Tracy, uh, which is Spencer Tracy, and that's we'll we'll talk about her screen partners because obviously Spencer Tracy is the most Tracy Hepburn is the the most well known like coupling but she made a lot of movies with Cary Grant too and then our final movie is Undercurrent from 1946 which is a film noir directed by Vincent Minnelli which when I saw that when we were looking at her filmography I feel like I said it in the email I was like we have to talk about a yeah. film noir directed by Vincent Minnelli yeah like, we were it, as soon as it came up I was just like I don't even care if it was a hit like, right, I don't care. Right. we're covering we have it. to talk I, about it yeah. yeah with a young Robert Mitchum when I saw that I was oh like oh my in. god I'm yes. yeah I'd so never heard yeah. of it yeah handsome so handsome um okay so <laughs> probably right. the most hand- we'll get to it but probably uh, the most handsome he's ever been in a movie maybe I'm trying to think yeah he's got a good I, look I would him. say anyway we'll go we'll, so, we'll get to it so Sylvia Scarlett um is George Cukor um it's you know it's Q-Core? a Cukor Cukor I heard I've always heard Cukor Cukor yeah. yeah okay so yeah. George Cukor who um Hepburn made a lot of movies with yeah I think it was like eight or nine I, I counted them the other day yeah so, Q- so she worked with them a so, lot yeah just looking at the filmography so 32 she makes a bill of divorcement uh which is a Cukor movie right mm-hmm. and then I forgot this. She wins her first Oscar for her third movie in Morning Glory in 33. The same year she makes Little Women. She plays Joe March, also Cukor, right? Little Women, mm-hmm. Little Women just got made, just got remade for the umpteenth time. So Joe is the Saoirse Ronan character, if you want to connect that. Anyway, then she makes a bunch of movies. Alice Adams gets a lot of notices. The George Stevens movie, amazingly underrated director. He'll be a great B-side one day. Uh, he made Giant, which is one of my favorite movies. And then um, after Alice Adams, uh, keeping with the alliteration of female characters who are the titles of the movie, is Sylvia Scarlet from 35, which is Cucar again. And that you have, it's her first, right? Her first movie with Cary Grant, who's a young Cary Grant. And, yes. um Nate, you want to, because you're great at this, you want to do us the honor of setting up what this movie's about and we can talk about it? Sure. Um, Sylvia Scarlet, I, this was one that I asked to be included because right. I had never seen it. It was one that had been on my list forever. I knew young Cary Grant, I knew young Catherine Hepburn, and I was just kind of excited to, I don't know, be witness to this, this film. And 
the way it felt to me, and I don't know if you both feel this, it felt like two different movies. Mm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. A, li- a little, yeah. Yeah. I but elaborate, fir- but yeah. Yeah. The first half, so it begins with Sil- <clears throat> Sylvia Scarlet, played by Catherine Hepburn, and her father, which is um, uh, Henry Scarlet, played by Santa Claus, Edmund- right? Yeah, it's Edmund Gwen from yeah. Miracle on 34th Street, who also shows up in Undercurrent. Um, that's right. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that okay, that's, again, why I, that's why I was getting confused, because I watched both of these movies in in pieces, not like alternating or anything. I watched Undercurrent first, but it was one of those like I was like, wait, didn't I see this person in another scene? Like I watched them basically back to back. Yeah. But like and. Let's, a, n- a night and then a morning apart. And so I was just like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> And before Nate, you keep going, I just want to say this is just as I read uh, on Wikipedia and this is sourced and we uh, uh, this is pretty well documented. This is this movie lost three hundred sixty thousand dollars and was kind of people pinpointed as like the beginning of the Hepburn downturn where then she yeah, was they, branded, quote unquote, box office poison. Yeah, um, exactly. So this is kind of the beginning of that, which is crazy because this is still pretty early on in her career. But it RKO lost a lot of money on this movie. So yeah. So it begins with uh, Sylvia Scarlet and Henry Scarlet. The mother has just passed away. I don't think we ever get the mother's name, and it turns so. out that the father is broke. He's stolen a bunch of money from this company. They have to flee France. He's uh, smuggling lace. They're going to go to England and sell this lace and try to set themselves up in business. On the boat over, they meet Jimmy Monkley, a very charming Cockney <laughs> con man played by young, young Cary Grant. Seriously. Who, you know, uh, I don't know if I should give a spoiler or anything. Yeah, but, you can um, spoil it, right? We can spoil it. I can spoil it. Yeah. Great. I, yeah, it's, I feel like it's tough to talk about this movie a little bit without just kind of yeah. going yeah, all the way good, down the good. line with it. So. Uh, if you haven't seen Sylvia Scarlet or if you're concerned about spoilers. Um, yeah. I mean, it's wor- I, are it's, we just going to go out and spoil all of these? I was thinking about it. I don't know because two of them are kind of like they have huge twists. Yeah. Um, okay. Like well, Mary just, of Scotland. It, I mean, it's history. So it's not. Yeah. But, so just the these first two, at least, we're going to go kind of all the way through. So yeah, if yeah. you haven't seen Sylvia Scarlet or Mary of Scotland, we're going to kind of fully digest those uh yeah. sorry nate continue yeah no 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 please and so uh henry gets drunk tells jimmy that he's got this lace that he's smuggling and he's gonna make all this money selling it and of course henry or uh, uh jimmy's a con man who's smuggling stuff too he turns in henry which gives him a free pass when he gets to england but then he apologizes to sylvia and henry and the three of them become these comments. Oh, uh, I should also mention that uh, they decided when leaving France that it would be easier for Sylvia to travel if she was a boy. Forgot to mention that. So now at this point, Catherine Hepburn is in drag. She's Sylvester Scarlet. The three of them become sort of these happy, jaunty con men in, in London and pull a couple cons that don't go completely as they should. And this is like the first half of the movie. And it, it, I was so into this movie. I was like loving every moment of these, these cons, the fact that Sylvester Scarlet, Catherine Hepburn had a heart. And so when they were about to like rip people off, she'd kind of like throw the con off and be like, oh, well, we can't do this. We can't let you do this. We can't let you do this. Like 
I was I was really into this movie up until this point. And then it's like a complete like 180. And uh, I'm sure you two can have comments on this because then all of a sudden they decide to create like a stage show and they travel around the countryside as performers. There's like this little conversation where they're like, OK, you know what? We'll have you. They 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 incorporate this maid into their trio and they're like we'll have you be the singer and we'll be the pink pieros and they get a bunch of wagons and they go across the countryside performing for for tips like it just it becomes not as a con though that's a weird thing it's not like it's a front for them to do something else it literally like they it's such a bizarre moment because they Monkley basically sees that the maid whose name escapes me. It's Denny. Denny Moore's the actress, and then her name is Maudie. 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 Maudie right? That's right. Yeah. yeah, Maudie. So he goes and visits his friend Maudie, who's this maid to these rich people who have gone away on like a yacht trip, right? And so he sees that in the paper, and he's like, "Oh, okay." So they pay them a visit. They're like hanging out this at this empty rich people's house, and uh, obviously Sylvia's father like falls in love with Maudie like to an obsessive degree and and they basically um yeah like it's such a weird they it's weird because Grant's character tees it up as if hey we're gonna pretend to be these like talent scouts or whatever and then by the end of that sequence in the mansion it's like full-on like no yeah okay I guess we're just gonna be like a traveling troupe and then it just sort of like fast forwards a little bit to them performing in the middle of nowhere well, or whatever. And we can tag team the synopsis. Cause basically then they're performing. And at least, at least I, f- I feel like we all agree on this. I kept waiting for the con to, to, to lock in because they're performing. Sure. And then Brian Ahern, who's Michael Fane in the movie, who then becomes very crucial in the back half where it becomes this different thing. Like Nate saying, um, he ridicules one of them and and Sylvester, quote unquote, Scarlet, Catherine Hepburn, who's been very outspoken in all the cons. She basically challenges him to come up and do it better himself. Oh, if you think you're so good, come up and do it yourself. And then at that moment, I was like, oh, this is the con. Like they they rope in some, you know, heckler and they somehow do something and they steal his money, right? Like I was waiting for that to be a thing. I thought they were going to pick his pocket. Absolutely. Exactly. I thought they were going to pick his pocket. And yep. then, but then it just becomes, she falls in love with fame. Like that's been, <laughs> like, that's just what happens. And then it's like, so you have this weird, like love quadrangle that happens where it's like Sylvester Scarlet begins to lament that she is a woman and everybody thinks she's a man and she's digging on Fane and Maudie like makes a pass at her and she has to like rebuff her and it it gets all confusing and her Edwin Gwen, her father becomes uh, like insanely infatuated with Maudie and Cary Grant's kind of in the middle of everything being a cad and he kind of disappears from the movie for 30 minutes and it becomes like Hepburn going after Brian Ahern's character who's Fane and it's very like very and 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 the if you look on the Wikipedia and other sources New York Times gave it a bad review at the time and it was because of the confusing structure like yeah and I kind of get it. I like this movie. And I'll just say up front, if you look at my letterbox, actually, I gave all four of these movies three and a half out of five stars. I, I did like all of them. Like, I will say in the context of the time we're living in, I think 
any old movie starring Catherine Hepburn, I would give three and a half. Like, I just right, like, right, right. I like these movies. Like, <laughs> I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, this is nice. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I could, I might watch Adam's Rib tonight, you know, just because it's like. Well, you should definitely watch Adam's Rib. That's a sure, great yeah. film. Adam's Rib right. is great. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, she, I mean, she's made so many great ones. Anyway. Um, so that's kind of it. I mean, we, I, I guess we can spoil it, but she is, she ultimately reveals that she is a woman to basically everybody who cares. And it becomes this like feign, like does Fane like me? Does he not like me? I don't think he likes me. Monkley wants to be with Maudie, but like Henry's obsessed. There's this other character who's Lily, who's like this kind of, I don't even know. She's like this the other woman of Fane's, but then you learn she doesn't matter at all. It's very, yeah. I, in a slapstick way, in a screwball way, I liked it. And then by the end, I kind of was into it. I will say this, watching Catherine Hepburn in the back half be like fawning over a guy is a little funny when you kind of think about it's her. It's so, yeah, I'm so when glad you, think, you said that. When you think yeah. about her persona and like, she, you know, very big Hollywood liberal, her and Spencer Tracy, Mm-hmm. And we should just say, we'll talk about it. Her and Spencer Tracy basically had a lifelong affair. He he never divorced. Did she, was she ever married? Did she ever divorce? Were they just, she, she, yeah, she was married. Yeah, she divorced. Yeah. But like, he, he, till he died, was like Catholic in the most American yeah, Catholic way. Yeah. He just was like, If, if you go, even just as a fun little thing for context, like if you go on her Wikipedia, it says, spouses Woodlow right, right. Ogden Smith right divorced right? right and then partners Spencer Tracy forever right, right? Like, it's yeah. insane like, it's yeah. insane it's, um, it is nuts. to the point where I mean his last movie he he died right guess who's coming to dinner like they're they play a married couple like you know what I mean right. it's so yeah. funny anyway, yep. so that's that's the movie I mean I mean we can get more into the, the details but I mean like I guess a couple thoughts I loved Catherine Hepburn in it she's got some great moments I I found her like oddly attractive as like the playing the man role. I was kind of like, this is, I like this. Like it's, well, there's, it feels it's, very it's like an, Annie Hall. Like I was kind of like Diane Keaton must've watched this movie. you right. Cause like that whole getup feels very like, like 50 years ahead of its time. You know, like, sure. I, I mean, there are a few things about the movie that I f- think to its credit, at least do feel a little ahead of its time. Like, I don't yeah. know. And somebody listening who maybe knows better than I do can comment on this, but like, where does this movie rank in terms of the history of like same sex kisses on screen? Like right, 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 that right. kind of stuff. Cause like Maudie full on kisses, quote unquote Sylvester, right? Like, well, this must that be kind of stuff. So this there's must definitely be, little, little this must nuggets be of that pre Hayes Code, right? I yeah, that's it's from what I've learned about it. Like 1934 is kind of the cutoff. The pre code oh, is like pre 1934. So I, I wondered about that myself. Cause this I was like, must oh, okay, be this is right pre code. There's a right. girl on girl kiss, but it's 1935. So I don't know if it, yeah, so maybe, maybe it's it, snuck in. Yeah, maybe it's snuck in. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Um, and I guess, you know, Cary Grant's fun in this. I do think it's funny. You can kind of, I mean, we'll shout out actually while we're talking about it. Our friends over at the Mixed Reviews podcast talked about this movie when they did their Cary Grant episode. So if you want more kind of on him, you can listen to that great episode. Um, but I will say this is a limited role. He's fun in it. He gets way better. I mean, obviously, I think Cary Grant himself basically admitted as much. Like young Cary Grant as an actor was just kind of learning on the fly. So yeah, 
you know, by the time he's in stuff, it, you know, it like is North sort of nice West, to just like see him play right. a straight up piece of shit, though. Kind yeah, of I, like, I, it's I sort of like I agree. nice because he's basically irredeemable. Like even by the end of it, when uh, when that person who doesn't matter, what is her name? It's um, Lily, right? <laughs> yeah. When Lily is like stuck basically with Monkley on the train and Monkley see has seen that that uh sylvia and uh michael have essentially gotten together like as lily is saying to him like i'm gonna go back to michael and he just starts laughing at her and that's basically the end of the movie uh he just starts obnoxiously guffawing at her um i kind of was just like oh he's just like unrepentant and it's well, he kind does of have, nice he does like have the one thing he does is he lets them get away right yes sure so that sure. is like a nice right. i don't know scoundrel yeah. makes good moment i guess but um i don't know what else is there to say i mean i i did uh, enjoy this movie i mean it was a big bomb like we said um i but... do want to talk quickly about like the so there are a couple things in her performance that i think are really interesting and i'd be curious to know if they were direction given to her or if it was something she committed to i'm not quite sure but there is something really interesting in the first scene in the movie basically it's the only scene that she has where she is just sylvia they haven't started the scheme yet um and she talks in this very non Catherine hepburn voice and it's this commitment that at least for the it's weird because when she then reveals herself it doesn't come back out but it's something i noticed at the top that i thought was fascinating she talks in a, in a much higher pitch just a voice that is like decidedly not hers traditionally like if you're someone who has seen yeah. Catherine hepburn movies what do you want to do i'm going with you no no you don't be a hindrance you've never been out of france i know but i'm half english aren't i and i can speak it as well as you can but i'd stand a much better chance myself They'd be able to trace a man with a girl. Well, then I I won't be a girl. What? I won't be weak and I won't be silly. Huh? I'll be a boy and rough and hard. I won't care what I do. What are you doing? Stop it! Don't worry, I'm ready for anything. So that when she makes the transition to Sylvester, she sort of just lets her Catherine Hepburn voice out, which is much lower and much like could maybe more easily be mistaken for a young man's voice. Um, and that's I a good point. That, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I thought that was a fascinating choice. Like I said, it's a. I don't know how much of a choice it was, or if it's something they just didn't commit to. Because again, later in the movie, when she reveals herself to Fane, it's not like she slips back into that voice. Um, but it was something up top that I noticed that I thought was fascinating. I also love her hair at the front of the movie because it's so clearly just braids that like a, a back half wig that's just braids <laughs> that are put onto the haircut that she has the shorter cropped haircut that she has for the rest of the movie yeah. um that they just are like yeah okay we'll just remove those and then she's uh she's sylvester um but yeah no i thought she was really good i think yeah, the movie overall, it's kind of disjointed. It's also, this also could be, I, you know, I, I was watching it like at night. So I was like very much like, this movie's loud. Like there are like people screaming. Oh, there's a lot of screaming. All the time. All the yeah. time. There's a lot of screaming. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that yeah. I, a couple of times I was like listening with headphones and I had to like stop and be like, okay, en enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, by and large, I, I, I liked it. You know, I, I don't know if I would, you know, if you're wholly unfamiliar with Catherine Hepburn movies, you by no means need to start with this one. Um, 
but Nate, was this, I mean, you, like you said before, you wanted to watch this one. What did you kind of, I mean, you felt like it was disjointed too, I guess, but I did. Yeah. And, and I wondered as I was watching it, uh, I was watching it with my wife and the two of us, we were just like, did we miss a scene? Like, how did it, yeah. and we, we rewound it. Or you know, I did that went, too. I did went that back too. digitally yep. to be like, how did they get the money to afford these wagons yeah, and these costumes? I did the, all that I stuff. did the exact same thing because I was. They were you know planning that heist to steal the jewelry, but then I guess they put the jewelry back, and Maudie just makes a comment like, "Oh, I have savings," and apparently had enough money to sure. get these wagons. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it, and it was just such a different thing to see a young Catherine Hepburn in, you know, we'll, we'll get to Mary of Scotland, which I felt like was more typical for her sure. at this point in her career. And it just, it seemed like she was having fun throughout the entire time, especially when she was Sylvester. She just really like went into it, you know, sort of balls to the wall, went for this performance as this young boy, um, which I got to be a great physical of. performance. The physic, the physicality, yeah. my favorite scene in this film was when she decided to reveal herself to Michael Fane, to Brian Ahern, she steals the dress and she showed up at his place. He's going to paint, he's expecting to paint Sylvester, but Sylvia shows up in this dress and she, the way that she walked around his place and when she sat down and was talking to him, her physicality was somebody who was so uncomfortable, like being in a dress and being now a woman after having been a boy for so long that it really kind of like surprised me at how, how well she did that. You know, yeah, and it, even and we should talk. I mean, in that scene too, like speaking of the kind of how the sexual politics were kind of ahead of its time, the whole Brian Ahern performance as Fane is like I think he's great. Is very like yeah, he's like kind of doing a omnisexual thing, right? Like he's basically like in that scene, he's like he's like you, hey, you were a hot young guy. Like well, he, yeah, he it, says like as much. He, he basically says like, I was wondering why you were basically doing something to me. Like, yeah, it, it's like like he basically admits that he was like full Into on attracted it. to <laughs> yeah. to uh, Sylvester, which I think is is fascinating. Right. And um, it seems like like Lily was kind of fluid in sort of the the gender stuff too, because when she comes in and she saw young Sylvia in the dress. I kind of turned to my wife and I was like, oh, this is this is getting a little risque. It might be, right, you know, right, right. Yeah. They were both into her, you know? Yeah, I, that's Artists, what I man. really thought. <laughs> I really thought it was pre Hays Code. That's so interesting. Obviously, it's not. It's 35. So I would be curious to dig more into that. Um, and I guess so it's a pretty stark turnaround from this to Mary of Scotland, in as much as, like you were saying, Nate, you go from kind of this uh ahead of its time thing, which wasn't received well at the time and has gained an estimation here and there. It's it's very much still a B-side. It's not something that yeah. your average person would be like, oh, yeah, Sylvia Scarlet, of course. But um, I do think it's gained in estimations, at least in critical circles. So Mary of Scotland, uh, moving on to our second movie, directed by John Ford, is a pretty straightforward period drama uh, that is based on a play, but it's obviously based on the real you know world events that are – you know, Mary Queen of Scots, who she she was basically exiled to France, thrown into Well, she a, married she was married off. Well, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Married off and in France. Um, and then when she became of age, she almost like against recommendations traveled back to Scotland to the dismay of Elizabeth. Um, and what results is this kind of sort of power struggle um 
Now I'll say this: this is this story has been adapted a few times. Um, most recently, a couple of years ago, in the movie *Mary Queen of Scots*, uh, in which Saoirse Ronan plays Mary, uh, Mary Stewart, uh, as well as her name, and um, uh, what's her name? Margot Robbie plays Elizabeth. Elizabeth, yeah, and. Mm. That movie's interesting. It didn't really get well received. Uh, I think Bo Willimon wrote the script. And let me make sure I get the director's name of, Ma- of the most recent one. But yeah, I haven't seen that one. It's it's kind of it's like fashion forward, right? It's kind of it's like very aesthetic in terms of its choices. Um, it's a little campy. Uh, I didn't mind it, but I do think it kind of gets in its own way a couple of times. Um, I don't really much care or mind the accuracy or lack of accuracy in these things. Um, Like, for example, I don't believe in real life Mary and Elizabeth ever actually met at the end. But in Mary of Scotland and in Mary, Queen of Scots, they invent these, like, final scenes that happen, which you kind of have to do. I don't know how. I mean, all of this is to say this. This is a weird story to make into a movie. Like, I get why um, you do it because there is, it's interesting, but it's kind of like everything that happens is in the shadows and it's not like a Hamlet or a King Lear. Like, because basically Mary comes back to Scotland. She mixes it up with the people who are running Scotland. She's basically like, I'm Catholic. I'm going to say Catholic. I like being Catholic. They're like, what like a lot of us have like turned away from that and she's like that's cool i don't care like worship who you want to worship like you know basically you know we're you know free religion and they're like gasp right that's like kind of this whole thing and obviously elizabeth wasn't catholic so there's that whole you know mary held as much of a from what we understand mary held as much of a like uh uh, she was as much could be the queen as Elizabeth, right? Like, yeah, her claim yeah. to the her throne claim. is basically rooted in the fact that um, Elizabeth is right, essentially Boleyn's daughter, right? Exactly, who and got so beheaded. was looked upon as sort of an illegitimate child. Um, is that the other and- Boleyn girl, dude? <laughs> you guys remember you guys remember the other Boleyn we'll talk I, we'll get around to that movie that, at some point natalie on this Portman, podcast I think, oh about? that's yeah oh, you got yeah. natalie porter you got scarlett johansson you got Bob. scarlett johansson that's right that's right yeah. um um but so so elizabeth is basically worried that mary's gonna try to you know usurp the throne so there's that but like they never really meet except for this fictional thing at the end and mary basically gets kind of screwed by the people in her own like you know her own Circle, castle basically. you know yeah, so it's yeah. her brother her right. brother's yeah. her, <laughs> her half brother yeah basically yeah. moray so yeah i mean who is essentially the leader he's like the leader of the scottish lords that are all pissed that she came back basically right. and so i'll just say josie rourke directed the not the 2018 uh mary queen of scots just so i can say that and like we said before john ford directed this version we're talking about the 36 version and i and look i i actually really like this movie um for all the kind of hemming hong we're doing about the narrative of it all like i really like captain hepburn and i love frederick march in it it's an early mm-hmm. performance by him what did you guys think um i liked it this was my least favorite out of the four that we watched interesting right 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 yeah I I felt like it was I mean it's like, like you said it's based on a play and it felt very play like you know there's there's sort of ways of 
you see something like like the movie Amadeus, which is based on a play, and they open that play up so much and create the world. This felt more like I was watching the stage production, and and I think part of me was like, oh, I think they could have done more. And knowing John Ford, and I looked up some info on it like before watching it, and Ford basically disavowed this movie and and checked out as they were making it. Oh, that interesting. makes a lot of sense. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and so I just I. I felt like it didn't quite feel like a Ford movie to me. And I I felt it could have been better. I liked Hepburn's performance. I love Frederick March. He's he's one of my favorites from this time. His performances, you know, all the way up to Inherit the Wind. Uh, if you haven't seen the best years is of our he, lives, is he's he, oh, so, so good. good. Is Frederick yeah. March the president in Seven Days of May? Is he I in don't Seven know. Days of May? Connor, you like that movie, right? Anyway, I sorry. Love, I love Seven Days of May. Here, keep talking. Um, I'm going I'm to look it up. Keep talking. Yeah, no, I mean, I think those are all, I think those are all good points. I, and I emailed this to you guys right after I watched it. Like I watched, I caught this at like, you know, when I, mm-hmm. I think right before I watched this, I, um, I, what did I finish? Um, I think I finished Keeper of the Flame, but basically I was watch I was watching this at like one in the morning. Right. And I don't know what it was like this movie. I just thought was captivating. Like I, interesting a part I think part of it was just the so many moving parts mm-hmm. of the of the narrative. Like I just sure. thought that was fascinating. Um, obvi- like it makes perfect sense that you know you make a show like the Tudors out of something like like do you know what I mean? Like there's just yeah. so many moving parts and things like that. So I totally get all that, and I totally I think what you're talking about in terms of the John Ford of it. I that's kind of what I loved about this movie. I was like, this movie is so claustrophobic for a John Ford movie. It's so like there's so much about it that felt so different that I that really kind of intrigued me about it. And um, particularly, I mean, her performance, I think, is amazing in this movie. I think the way this movie is lit is like just so fascinating. And I think they lean. I think Ford almost leaned into your point, Nate, to the stage play aspects of it because there, but I think it's almost for the better. There are these, these moments that, that he chooses to sort of just do things with the lighting that you would not do in a movie, but you would maybe do on stage. Right. So when she, for instance, is on trial and is so full spoilers, right? She's on trial and she's fallen in love with, uh, Lord Bothwell, who is or the sorry the earl the earl of bothwell right. who is Fr- friedrich march and so part part of this whole thing that's going on you know is all of the lords are trying to encourage her like hey you need to marry somebody who's going to enrich your claim to the throne if you're going to do this so the first part of it is basically her essentially going back and forth between the earl of Both- bothwell who's friedrich march and Lord Darnley, who is that uh, guy, that Doug, performance. Douglas Walton. That performance I is love. insane. I love that was it. wild because this dude is wild. Such, he's such that a dude fucking, shows up on screen. Like, like I literally was like, this is a dude who is like, I am gonna rip the shreds of this film every like. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, cut he into just the cellulose. All the scenery, it's a big scenery chewing performance. Oh, his first scene with the four <laughs> like ladies in waiting. Oh my yeah. god! And he shows up all dressed in white with like a riding crop. Oh yeah. And then the yeah. one, no, the, one it's, the one lady's like, now there's five of us, and she's like digging yeah. on him so hard. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, so it's so great, and I but I love his performance because he's just 
there's a there's a, a way I watched this movie that like this movie's doing things that feel ahead of its time and just it feels like the characters are are and and maybe this just speaks to the super shitty ways in which the patriarchy has never changed, right? So sure. maybe that's what it is. It's not so much ahead of its time as that it's still relevant, right? Unfortunately. But between Bothwell and Darnley and all like these the male characters in this movie are put into these pockets where you're just seeing her have to navigate all of them and you're like these fucking dudes. And do my lords allow my name to be slandered? Hi, your majesty, you're mistaken. There's no love lost between us and Bothwell. Take no account of that speech, your majesty. I shall take account of it. I shall take account of all the veiled insults which have been flung at me here tonight under the guise of welcome. Bless it. I realize now what kind of support I may expect from all of you, even from my own half-brother. My dear sister, I know where please. you stand now. I know where I stand. Go ahead, form your council. Do as you wish. I'll have no hand in it. Up until now, I have never done anything of my own wish. The ambition of other men carried me to France when I was a child. The ambition of other men married me to a dying boy who became king of France. I wasn't asked, but I'm through. I'm going to live my own life, do as I say. I refuse to marry. I love no one and I shall marry no one. I'm going to begin to be myself, Mary Stewart. Right, and that was the part of the movie that I thought was fascinating. There's particularly a moment. So she essentially, in a fit of sort of, I, you know, I, I want to say sort of, a, I'm trying to think of the right word, but basically as sort of a, a gut decision, a sort of panicked decision to enrich her claim to the throne. She basically chooses Lord Darnley, even though she loves Friedrich March, right? And Friedrich March is essentially the guy who's commanding her armies and makes her feel safe, right? Makes her feel secure. Um, Darnley, just as we've kind of said, basically sucks, right? But <laughs> because of his lineage, the two of them being married and having a son would would strengthen their claim to the throne. So she chooses and it like Darnley. ostensibly allows her to remain Catholic because he's not, right? It kind of like yeah. Yeah. mixes yeah. it, which is very important. And we and, should say Rizzio is her like trusted advisor played by John Carradine. Um, yeah. And he's the one uh, who's pressuring her as like a conduit between all the shitty dudes and her to do this as like a make good. You yeah, know, essentially. Yeah. And Ooh, by the way, I thought that performance, John Carradine, oh, I, I yeah, loved it. Great. When, when I, he I think leaves the movie, I was crushed. The I Rizzio, was, I honestly, wanted... in every adaptation of this story I've ever seen, the Rizzio death is always like one of the most affecting parts. Cause you really, because yeah. even in Mary Queen of Scots, they, they, you know, it's the same story. And so they have Rizzio and they, Mary Queen of Scots goes way more like, you know, we're talking about sexuality and whatnot, you know, they go way more kind of like sexual identity with it, where it's kind of like Rizzio's, I, they kind of make him to be, I don't know, I don't know if he's gay as much as it's like, he's very much kind of like hanging with the ladies and like very kind of open and like, they're all like messing about and like his death in the, in the 2018 version is so sad. You're like, no, Rizzio. Like, and, and <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's Carradine's a great character. Great. Cause it's yeah. one of the few, as you see her have to just navigate this quagmire of shitty people, 
Rizzio and Bothwell are like the two, right? The only like yeah. two right. figures that you're like, oh, well, at least she's got some support and at least it's, you know, it's these people. And, um, but there's a scene when she basically, against her better judgment and wishes, chooses Darnley. Darnley is jacked. He's like, oh my God, he chose me? I never thought it would happen, right? And he's like, kiss. I'm kidding. And I'm she, kidding. <laughs> she has this moment that I noticed that I don't know if it was an accident. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was a conscious choice. Either way, I thought it was fascinating. But when they kiss, she does this like little like blink with her eyes and she's so clearly not in it. Like it's, she's so clearly like doing it as like an obligation and is waiting for the moment to be over. And it's, it's this little hint of like this physical thing that she does, uh, that I just was, I caught it and I was like, Oh, this is like, she's like, and to your point, it is definitely more in step with this role is right down the middle in terms of what you expect. Yeah. Uh, given this her, is her wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. But it, I do think it shows like, I think, it's a it's such an interesting use of those talents. And I like I said before, like the way this movie's lit, um, Ford is really smart to just like the camera loves her in this movie. There mm-hmm. are close-ups of her in this movie that you're like, that is that's the most beautiful human I've ever seen. Um and uh yeah, I don't know. I was just so one, one thing, everything about the atmosphere of this movie totally like yeah, pulled me in. I agree. I agree with that to a degree. One thing I loved as well, um, just directorially, and it's interesting once again that like obviously Ford didn't seem like this. Funny enough, we'll talk about. I believe, I believe it's a similar situation with Keeper of the Flame. Uh, we can get into that, but um, um, Ford and his DP make really good use of wide angle lenses for the for the wider for the like master shots so yeah whatever you know I, i'm sure they shot this on a lot and built you know the castle sets and whatnot but they really make the most out of the production design which i i really like yeah. when you watch these old movies where it's like everything's real to a degree obviously it's you know not real real but they are building things they're filming in real places right even if it's on a lot and yeah. i do think there is a comfort in watching these scenes where you know they're riding on a horse and they're coming into like you know the main what do you call it like the the courtyard right of the castle and it's like you see you know the four walls surrounding them and it really feels very cinematic right and like i that stuff kept me going with this movie big time and the Carradine performance the Carradine performance I loved which Nate you brought up as well and let me just say that Frederick March is the president in seven days in May he's great president Jordan Lyman that movie's amazing it's Burt Lancaster Kurt Douglas have you seen that movie Nate I actually have not oh dude, so put it on your list it. it's I really going to watch it. it absolutely it's Frankenheimer it's, Frankenheimer. it's Burt Lancaster Kurt Douglas Ava Gardner Gardner Frederick March yeah. wow um, Mar- okay. written Balsam. by Rod Serling Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Written by Rod Serling. It's a great movie. It's so good. Wow. And um, I believe just give a shout out to uh, Rod Serling's daughter. If you don't follow her on Instagram, she posts a lot of cool stuff. Quotes from her dad. Oh, really? Awesome person to follow. Oh, oh. I do not, but I will now. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's super. So, cool. Seven Days in May. It's about a president who kind of like loses the grip of a situation. I can't imagine what that would be like. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway. Weird. So glad. Yeah. yeah. What would that be like to be in a situation where like that was happening? Oh. I don't know. Uh, all right. Any 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 final word, Nate? You want the final word on Mary of Scotland? 
I just want to say that the scene where the people come in, where she has just returned to Scotland and they start singing with all oh, the bagpipes. It's so well choreographed. That <laughs> charged me up so much. Hell yeah. I like stood up off of the couch as I was watching. Hell yeah. That was... That blew my mind. Yeah, like I'm, you know? I'm Irish by by blood, but I wanted to be Scottish in that moment for sure. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, that so was my favorite favorite scene in the movie. Connor, why don't you uh, fade us into our uh, our keeper of the flameness, our third movie? Ooh. So we're gonna jump ahead. So those two movies were a year apart, right? right? Uh, Early on, 30, right? Thirty five and thirty six. Um, and I will, so just we're gonna... quickly, I do think Mary of Scotland did perform a bit better than um sylvia scarlet but it wasn't a big hit and just to kind of follow up on what nate was saying i think reviewers agreed with nate to a degree the the word that stands out if you read the new york times review in 35 for mayor of scotland is dignified like it's a dignified adaptation of the play which i always feel like dignified is a great critic word for like okay you know what i mean like like right it's, yeah. like, it's like not the best it's <laughs> like, pretty safe we yeah. like the it's play fine. you know what i mean like yeah yeah um, Oh, wait, and I think I'm wrong. Is it? Oh, no, I'm right. Keeper of the Flame is next. 42, right, right. Yeah. Yes, yes, correct. So, or 90, so we're jumping sorry, ahead. 43, 43. Yeah, yeah jumping ahead. Well, I have 42. I end. see. It's funny. I see the release date is 43, but I think, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think it's. Uh, IMDb says December of 42. Yeah, so maybe it like previewed because I have an old thing. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. Anyway, 42, 43, Keeper of the Flame. Um, she's with Spencer Tracy in this one. Uh, one of their many collaborations. Also, she's reteaming with George Cukor uh, in this one. It basically, it's a little bit more of a Spencer Tracy movie. He's, I think, if you had to, I mean, they're co-leads, but I feel like if you had to yeah. pick a, a lead, I, Spencer Tracy is, it's a Spencer Tracy movie for sure. Um, Spencer Tracy plays a journalist, Steve O'Malley, who uh, wants to write a biography of a national hero, Robert Forrest, who has just died. His car had this tragic accident in a storm by going off of a bridge uh, or did it. Uh, um, uh, and basically, O'Malley, you know, he he loved like everybody else in the country and even in parts of the world, loved Robert Forrest. This dude is just revered right deified even and they they sort of bring that up who do you think the uh, real who do you think the real world person was oh there's there's a guy there's a there's there's a there's there's a person who it's absolutely based on is it well okay are you thinking are we thinking of the same person because i probably was, it lindbergh is what i was thinking yep, yep yeah absolutely okay. oh, so right. oh, i'm an idiot yeah of course if yeah. lindbergh had died in like mid-1941 it would have been a similar thing to what happens with forest dying where the yeah. country came out in droves weeping he was the biggest hero of the kids i mean there was a dance in the 20s called the lindy hop because he was the most popular person like in america for 15 years like Lindbergh was the guy basically o'malley wants to you know he wants to write sort of the quintessential coverage on robert forrest the man right and who when and and his life um and so as he starts to dig into what happened and get closer to um christine forrest uh who is Catherine hepburn um and he tries to get access to her very quickly things start to seem kind of fishy right very quickly the the circumstances surrounding forrest's death seem maybe like they're not entirely on the level um 
but he basically strikes up a connection with Christine Forrest and they basically start, you know, he, he tries to get information out of her regarding her husband all the while, maybe also trying to get information out of her in regards to what exactly happened because she's sort of very cagey about the whole thing. He's also working through uh, this sort of right-hand man to Robert Forrest and Christine Forrest, uh, Clive Kerndon. Basically, like, I, it seems to be like their fixer is the kind of thing that I picked up. Like, yeah, that's sort of the Michael see, Clayton of it all. Yeah, seems seems to be like a PR kind of fixer type dude. And um, played by Richard Wharf, I think is a really great performance. It's like such a fun, like smarmy kind of weaselly performance i thought um but as o'malley digs deeper and deeper and deeper he realizes that maybe robert forrest wasn't as great of a dude as everybody thought he was and that's obviously where the um where the Lindbergh of it all kind of comes in and turns god what would that be like living in a country where People were preaching Americanism, but it was more like fascism. Fa- that, so that would be weird. nuts, dude. I don't even. I can't Man. even imagine. Um, Can you yeah, think? you just you look at. I mean, the Lindbergh policy was America first. I'm so glad yeah. that that's not happening. <laughs> right, of course. That's what it was called back then. Coming back to it, it, frankly, it is what makes watching Keeper of the Flame, I think, super engaging. Is you're just like, whoa, like it just there's there's yeah. a weird, uh, unsettling relevance to it that. Uh, and, that and to your point, really kind of resonates throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and to your point, Connor, we've kind of hinted at this. Like Spence, Tracy, and Hepburn were like uh, the very much a predominant uh, fr- front of the line Hollywood liberal couple, right? Their whole life, yep. right? You can you can see it in their movies, right? Stuff like Desk Set and like you know even in their like Desk Set, like even in their lighter movies, yep. it's like State of the Union or whatever, right? Um, I mean Adam's Rib. Adam's Rib. Yeah. It's like right? you know, Adam, gender like, politics, year, yeah. liberal policies. Like they all get snuck in, not even snuck in, they get like put in. And even to their last movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, is like I would argue the Hollywood liberal movie. Like that is the example of like, you know, that movie gets a lot of crap nowadays. I I'll defend it to the day I die. There's things there's a lot of great stuff in that movie, but um they represent that. So I think this is an interesting genre heavy version of that to your point where it's really more about Spencer Tracy's character uncovering this stuff. And he has this whole like scene with this little kid where he basically runs out the thesis of the movie and you, ha- you would have to think like this must've been the reason they took the roles. Right. Cause it's very much like and, in and line even, with what they believe. Yeah. And even, I mean, even that scene, and I think I mentioned it to you, Dan, when I yeah. started watching it, yeah. but like that scene, I was like, oh, this is like everything. I mean, you know, forget even po- politics specifically, but this is everything people talk about with like the Amazons of the world and things right. like that. Like Sp- Spencer Tracy basically breaks down like what could be the ultimate terrors of capitalism, right? Like the idea that like, oh, they won't put you in chains. They'll just like put you in like you know figurative chains by making you work for them i will and and, and it's this it's this fascinating little speech i will say the 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 kid in that scene so i mean he's probably long gone so it's okay that is a that's a wait before you that's before you say that let me look that's a tough that's a tough child performance Uh, nate what do you think that that's a that was that little kid i was like 
Oh, Jeb, young Jeb. I think he's still around. Daryl Hickman. I he's think still Daryl Hickman. Yeah. Oh, so Daryl Hickman, Darryl. if you're listening, that's all Dan Reckon. Daryl, you can direct all here. So this is interesting. Him. So actually, a quick Hickman aside, he was in The Strange Love of Martha Ivers. Which is a great movie. Which is a great movie. It's a great yeah. Kurt Douglas, uh, Barbara Stanwyck uh, B-side. Kind of a similar movie. Yeah. That's a great, um, great movie. What yeah, he, he had wow. a long career, man. Like, yeah, so you know what? Maybe geez. I was wrong about Daryl. He had a good career. Sorry. You, you know, he's, Sorry, he's learning as well. It's like Cary Grant and Sylvia Scarlet. You know, he's he's getting his legs. Um. So... Uh, speaking he's of, also a child so <laughs> yes yes my yeah. point was my point was simply like i think yeah, child performances are so are so hard right like it's a very common thing to be like you know whatever what's the what's the quote from what's his name you know never work with children or animals right like uh that wc fields wc yeah. fields thank you i just when i saw it i just was kind of like oh here's an example this is pretty down the middle like this kid's kind of one note to a fall, what have you. But hey, good for Daryl. A great career. I wanted to shout out Audrey Christie, though, who is a prim- primarily a theater actress. I loved her in this movie as like Tracy's kind of his girl Friday type oh, thing. Oh, yeah, she is I thought great. she was great. At the beginning of the movie, I was like, can this movie be about this character? I like yeah, I looked no, her up afterwards because so I was like, good. who is this woman? I hadn't yeah. seen her in that much. And, and it's it's her first like yeah big film credit and she's fantastic yeah and yeah. she's not in a lot like i i found her obit actually and it, it really more about her theatrical she was a you know an accomplished actress but mostly on broadway right like her, the first yeah. paragraph is about her broadway work and then like i think her most well-known role was she was natalie wood's mother in splendor in the grass which is like oh, a, okay. a bunch of years after this and funny enough she was in um, I think, and that's some crazy. I think she's in Deadline USA, which we talked about on the Humphrey Bogart episode. Was she? Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make sure. Um, but this Nate, movie feels a little bit like Deadline USA. Nate, why don't you go off on Keeper for a minute? Uh, sure. I feel like we've been doing all the talking. I think I this one is well worth the watch. If you know people listening out there have not seen it, this one. I loved it start to finish. I watched it with my wife. She was really caught up in it too. And, you know, apologies for the the spoiler because the way that they set it up, it's it's like you say, it is a Spencer Tracy movie, but they they keep leaning towards like, is Catherine Hepburn a bad person? Like, is she the villain? Right. You know, and you're watching it and and going in and, and knowing sort of Catherine Hepburn's career and the way that the Hollywood politics worked back then. But I I did find this movie just like gripping and the smaller performances, like you said, Audrey Christie, but Stephen McNally as Freddie, who's like um, uh, Jane, Audrey Christie's like boyfriend. He's only yeah, in it briefly as of. well, but yeah, he's yeah, another yeah. one who shows up occasionally in these like old Hollywood movies and just gives these dynamite performances. If you haven't seen Winchester 73 with Jimmy Stewart, he's like the bad guy. He's Dutch Henry Brown in that. And he's uh, he's he's fantastic. He he does he did a lot of westerns and stuff, but this is one of his. Um, but the the one scene that just made this movie to me was when Spencer Tracy went and talked to Forrest's mother. You remember that one where they yeah, they they're like rainstorms coming in. 
And he goes to this little old lady who just, she is, uh, I'm looking up her name right now, Margaret Witcherly, who she plays the mom in White Heat. The Jimmy Cagney gangster oh. movie. Oh, yeah. She's, I was trying yeah. to figure out where I remembered her from. Yeah. And she does this sort of like monologue this this it, during this scene where she's talking about her son. And it's just, I was, I loved it. Yes, Robert. I want Robert. I want my He's son. He's to understand. He's gone away for a long time. That's Robert. Setting out for new worlds to conquer. Mrs. Forrest, let me help you to your chair. I was a cook, and I had a son. Now, I've got a bigger house than the people I used to cook for. That's what my son did for me. People have big houses. Little people work for them. Yes, Robert. I'm listening. I was listening the other afternoon, but she had the telephone. Why didn't she warn you, Robert? That's not true. Somebody warned her, even through the thunder. I heard them say, tell Mr. Forrest the bridge is down. But she didn't tell him. She didn't tell him. It was so yeah. well done. And yeah, thunder's happening and she keeps turning and like responding to the thunder like it's someone talking to her. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Raul Ra- Ra- Walsh would be a great filmmaker to talk about uh, on one of these episodes. Like High Sierra. Totally. Yeah. St- oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. He was good, that guy. Wow. And he was around forever. You know, yeah. it's he is... Um, uh, I might get it wrong, but I think he plays Lincoln in D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. He does. I'm looking at it right now. He plays John Wilkes Booth in he plays Birth Booth. of a Nation. Okay, yeah. he plays Booth, yeah. yeah. But I knew that he he went all the way back to, you know, 1915. Like, he was, he saw it all, yeah. So um, before we before we keep going, I what think do we, we think about we... Catherine Hepburn in this movie? Well, yeah, I was going to say, this is all, probably all of our, our favorite, right, of the four, you think? We all like this yeah. the most. Yeah, it, was, it was my yeah. favorite. Yeah, yeah, probably. I like this, and I like Mary of Scotland a lot. But this is probably there. It's I like this probably more. It's yeah. a little tighter. This one was good. Yeah. This one is like even I watched it a couple of days ago. It's even in the two days since it has aged better than all the others in my mind. Partly probably because of the significance of everything. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, Catherine Hepburn. Uh, weirdly, this is probably the least effective of the three movies or of the four movies that she was for me so it's funny to say it's our favorite movie at least for you know because it's for me yeah because it is it's a spencer tracy it's more of a tracy movie she's she i will say this and this is what i thought was interesting about the four movies we wound up choosing i feel like i got to see her in different modes in each of the four movies yeah it's true yeah it's Um, very true and what i liked about this performance in this movie just is that it feels a little bit i mean it i feel like she lets it be tracy's movie as well so it's the kind of thing that like even i mean obviously they have like dynamite chemistry and it's still there in this movie but she is like decidedly reserved in this movie um from what you might expect and i i always like to praise actors when they do that because i feel like particularly if they tend to be showier actors um which she can be you know uh, in some of her better performances 
I, I think it's always fascinating to watch. So I will say if you want to see like, not from a quality standpoint, but just an energy standpoint, if you want to see Hepburn at like a seven or a six instead of like 11 or a 10, uh, <laughs> this is a super interesting movie to watch just because it's not, again, if you're, if you're only familiar with the A-sides, with the African Queen, Lion Winter, Philadelphia Story, Bringing Up Baby, any of those, like watching this as sort of a tonic for those is kind of interesting because she's in a completely, I think, different speed. Um, which I thought was super interesting. I will say, um, just to, I mentioned this before. So in Gavin Lambert's book on Kukor, um, he mentions, and it's referenced in the Wikipedia as well. Um, when all was said and done, uh, Kukor felt this was one of his lesser, uh, one of his lesser efforts and felt it was rather leaden. So that's kind of an interesting thing. He did not like the movie that much. And it's also just kind of, Important to note, um, Catherine Hepburn basically walked Spencer Tracy through this movie. He was really struggling with his drinking problem during the filming. And so, uh, like Hepburn, you know, they were already obviously kind of getting it on and having their affair and whatnot at this point. Um, and she would really kind of had to handhold him through the filming, which I think is interesting, which might interesting. even speak to her. I mean, totally, you know, this is total, like, you know, a guessing game, but could speak to you know, the diminishing of her role in lieu of Tracy, if she's got her kind of head in different places or whatnot. But, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's an interesting to see her in all these different, uh, kind of modes in these four movies. I feel like we picked a good four. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of the reason that she is so reserved is there is that question of what was her involvement in Forrest's death, you know, because in the beginning, it's like leading towards that. she 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 yeah. gives a performance that makes you know my my wife didn't kind of guess the twist at the end right she's basically movie. playing a, a femme fatale yeah right? like totally. she's essentially uh which i think is a cool you know it's actually it's kind of what i expected her to be in our next movie like sight unseen you know mm-hmm. um and oh, yeah, she me too. is me not too. is not really um right. but she is in this so it was kind of an i i really i'm i'm happy we picked these movies i really yeah. kind of was just super intrigued watching her in all of these uh, sort of different modes so nate why don't you wrap us up with undercurrent uh and i i think like i gave you the two most convoluted plots but whatever dude <laughs> let's do it no that's fine undercurrent uh i watched it last night i was not sure what to expect i didn't want to read up on it i just kind of wanted to go in there knowing that it was katherine hepburn with robert mitchum and so I'm thinking like, okay, this is going to be a dark, really interesting movie just based on Mitchum being in it. He's one of those guys who he's always been one of my favorites from this era. And I don't think he gets like the love that he should. Um, but so that being said, undercurrent, Catherine Hepburn plays uh, Anne Hamilton, who she's the daughter of this professor uh, played by Edmund Gwen. So again, Santa Claus from Miracle on 34th Street. He plays this professor, David Dink Hamilton. She calls him Dink love, throughout the I movie, love, which is a really That's like really my favorite sweet. part of the movie, actually. Uh, like she calls that. her dad Dink. It's, <laughs> a, it's really great. And she's sort of this tomboy who uh, the like local, like uh, it's, it's almost like a TA for, for her father is like in love with yeah. her and keeps proposing. And she's like, oh, I'm never going to get married, never going to get married. But then she meets this famous, super rich inventor who's interested in one of like the chemistry 
projects that her father has done. And she falls head over heels in love with him. They get married. She gets introduced to Washington society and is sort He's of played like, by Robert Taylor. By yeah. The way. Robert Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, Alan one of those Garraway who shows up in a lot of movies name. and was hugely successful, but you don't see much of his stuff. I actually was like looking I, up he, his, his credits. Yesterday. Yeah. He's a, he's a guy. I, it was one of those things I had, I had to look it up. When yeah. I was watching, because I was like, I I know this dude's face. Like, who the hell is this? Well, and I, uh, and like, I when I watched this, I was like, Rod Taylor is the lead, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So yeah, she marries Robert Taylor, who plays Alan Garraway. She gets introduced to Washington society, and it's sort of like this, you know, tomboy flowering into the swan like because i don't want to call her an ugly duckling she obviously was a very attractive tomboy you know the guys were all after her but she like learns how to like present herself and host these you know dignitaries congressmen all of this stuff because her husband is so rich and so important but then this mystery starts about this brother that alan doesn't want to talk about this mystery brother named michael who seems to be this charming artist, he likes poetry and music and and uh, and keeps getting bits of like info about Michael. And she she becomes obsessed with like trying to solve the puzzle of like what happened between the brothers, causing Alan to sort of, you know, I haven't seen many Robert Taylor movies. I actually I probably have, but I just don't know him by name. But um, there was a, a bit of a. a I thought he kind of overdid some of his freak out moments. Sure. I, I don't yeah. know if, if you oh, two agree oh, on that, I but it was could not agree more. It was a little, little much when she's like, Oh, you know, I, I really enjoy this poem. And then he'd like throw a tantrum. Uh, it's not just a tantrum. Brother. It's like a, I mean, it's like, dude, what's happening. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, he kind of, he kind of buries, he like spoils it early a little bit. Yeah. Right. You're kind of yeah, like, totally, dude, dude. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're like, yeah, keep it contained. Let us guess a little bit more. Right. And so then she goes on this mission to discover the brother leading to this kind of crazy climax that I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, I, I did as well. I did any did either of you get like full on Rebecca vibes from this movie? That's interesting. Yeah, a little I, bit. I, yeah, it basically like this movie, if I had to sum it, if you've seen Rebecca, Right. And I'm not even really I'm not spoiling anything, but just as a general plot thing, if you've seen Rebecca, this movie is almost basically like, what if what if Joan Fontaine fell in love with the idea of Rebecca as she was trying to like, you know what I mean? Like, because that's yeah. sort of what happens here. Right. Is that is that Kate Hepburn basically falls in love with this like phantom of a dude she knows nothing about this brother um as she's trying to uncover something maybe sinister maybe not as sinister you this don't really know i kept thinking um, this would be a cool movie to remake oh a thousand percent oh i thought that too percent. yeah absolutely yeah yeah totally. because like you're saying connor it's one of those it's weirdly timeless because you could avoid technology which you could like you can't say about anything anymore, but like Give I was, it. I was watching this and I was like, you could do this. Like you could do this movie. Yeah, get we like should big little eyes cast or something. Yeah, we should almost like, stop. Get. We should almost stop talking about it because I feel like we could all totally just do this. So maybe oh, yeah. just, <laughs> the pitch is it's like you know, a beautiful mind meets the Netflix show. You like it's it's oh yeah 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 exactly. it's right a little, there yeah 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 yeah. yeah. All right, the, enough, enough of this. We got yeah, copyright. Yeah. Sorry. Um, no, no, no. I but I and. 
I don't think we need to really. Sp- I don't think we should. Spoil no, it. let's not spoil. It. Yeah, let's no. spoil. It. Um, this was a hit, by the way. This did really well. You know what? As well, it should have. I thought yeah. this movie was super entertaining. Um, I, it, it, um, it's not my favorite of the four that we watched. But I, the one thing that, and again, this is just me watching this movie through like a twenty twenty lens. You know, is I don't think I liked Catherine Hepburn in this role. Like I like I especially because I kept thinking about Rebecca. Right. Mm -hmm. So like you think about Joan Fontaine in in this kind of a role, it just it fits a little more the eagerness, the desire to please like all of this, the, the neediness of it all. Right. Fontaine sells that sells that so well because she's just this like doe eyed thing. Right. That 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 just needs to like please right and it's which is tragic obviously in its own right when you watch it but i think she just sells it better and i think knowing particularly obviously even coming this late in her career i'm sure it was interesting to watch katherine hepburn in this role because it is so different yeah um it's so out of character for what you well, think especially her, the way they her introduce her is. and then the and then the way the movie turns right because she's yeah, introduced yeah, she as like goes, a very Catherine hepburn type and yes, then, and then yes. by the end it's like never mind and, right? and, it's and like i this, and i i think that's smart like i like that move that this that this movie pulls i think that's an interesting for minnelli i think that's an interesting bit of stunt casting almost where it's like hey i'm gonna give you the Catherine Hepburn character. And then I'm going to totally just like cut the legs out from under that character. And you're going to watch her do something else completely. And I think that's smart. And I think it's interesting to watch. I just, it, as a, as a viewer and somebody who loves Catherine Hepburn, I was, I was cringing the whole time. Cause I was just not because she gives a bad performance, but just cause I was like, girl, he, you don't need him. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. The, he, like, the... And Robert Taylor isn't, um, isn't, Compelling Olivier enough. is right. like, Olivier is Rebecca, right? Yeah, yeah. Lawrence yep. Olivier, like right, like he's not Olivier, so it's like it's not enough to at least at least be superficial about, right? Where you're like, well, he is devastatingly handsome. Like he just sort of looks like a dude. Like it's not, yeah. you know, he's not um, physically imposing. He's it, he's yeah. It, it, he seems sort of like a like a schmo, and it just uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it that part of it was the part of the movie that didn't sell. Like I just. Other than the society aspect of it, I just never really bought her being all in on Alan Garraway. That's a it's a good point the way that you you describe that too because I I thought that and again I really enjoyed this movie. Um, but the the Anne who's in the beginning who's in the house you know wearing the pants doing the classic Catherine Hepburn stuff messing with the guy who's in love with her, feeding her breakfast to the dog because she doesn't like her breakfast and yet lying to the the maid and all that stuff. Yeah. I expected a different thing once all the shit hit the fan. She's sort of like, I'm like, where's the girl who was like wearing the pants who would be, you know, acting differently, you know? Like, yeah, I, I, was I wanted waiting, her to fight more. Yeah, I was waiting yeah. for her to kind of like snap out of it or something. Right. right. You kind of right. waiting for that. I, and, will, I will say. And um, even through to the end of the movie, she doesn't even really do that. Get there. No, they, yeah. the, right. the climax was it, it caught me completely off guard because I was just like, oh, that was not how I was expecting that to go. It to go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah a lot. No. Of, I will say a lot of horse riding in a lot of yep. these movies. A lot of horse riding. Um, yeah. Which Plenty I like. Plenty of horses. 
So <laughs> really quickly, just because it's funny. So at the time, the movie you would think of immediately when this movie came out was Gaslight from only two years earlier. Sure, it's like yeah. a very yep. similar movie. And funny yep. enough, Gaslight was directed by George Cukor. So there you go. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Cougar's always lingering around. But um yeah, I think we all really enjoyed this movie. Um, where did this where did this fall in Manelli's like like how, So this how... is right after The Clock, which is one okay. of my favorite movies ever made. I love The Clock. Uh watch The Clock so, if you haven't seen it. Robert Walker, one of um, a very underrated actor I I have always felt. Yeah, and Vincent Minnelli, weirdly underrated director. He's one of those guys, he's amazing. And I, I guess he is regarded as a master, but people don't talk about him anymore, you know? Um, yeah. He's made a lot of movies, like On a Clear Day You See Forever. Um, obviously, The Bad and the Beautiful is one of my favorite movies ever. Bad oh, and Beautiful that movie is. is uh, it's a great movie. We kind of remet on The Bad and the Beautiful. Uh, That's right. We both were at uh, Momi. Undercurrent, we're talking about. Ziegfeld Follies, he did um the fred astaire and judy garland segments he was married to judy garland and uh meet me in st louis of course and the clock or that's early in his career and um in american in paris for god's sake and father the father of the bride movies father of the bride and father's little dividend so he's done a lot of he did a lot of good stuff um and uh you know, check him out. There is he makes there fun is movies. something I want to I want to call out real quick. It's just a little bit of trivia or whatever. But in uh, in Vincent Minnelli's autobiography, he mentioned that uh, Mitchum was not like comfortable in this movie, and it's I think that's fascinating because I really like Mitchum in this movie, and yeah. I think it's 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 a good like a good. It's not a role I would have thought for him. Um, but I think he plays it really well and he's really striking in it. So it is kind of just funny that he was not. And I do wish, and you know, speaking it. of the kind of updating it of it all, I do wish that more movies did the thing that this movie does, which is hold the cards in a little bit where like Mitchum's not really in it until the back half. And even then he's kind of still a, a curio where like, yeah, I, I think of something like um and now i'm not gonna remember the title at all one of my favorite movies ever made oh my god it's the movie with um i believe it's mitchum as well kirk douglas what's connor oh, out of the past out of the past yeah out which is the, an amazing movie. out of yeah. the past yeah. is the same thing with the kirk douglas character where he's not in a lot of the movie actually but when he's in it you're like oh man this guy is like he's locking yeah. you in and yeah. I do wish, I just feel like, I think of something like William Hurt in History of Violence or something where it's like, sure, you hear about this character and then when you yeah. get to the character, he doesn't disappoint, right? Like, I feel yeah, like that's it's so, amazing. that's so uncommon, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess it, it's going back to great expectations to a degree, you know, with the prisoner, but, but sure. um, I just, I miss that is the point. Um, and I think yeah, this movie kind of gets that. It's a weird trick of the brain because when someone like, you know, Mitchum again, he's only in maybe, I don't know, three, four scenes in this movie. If that but he's got like 10, he's got like 10 minutes of screen. Time, he gets probably. talked about so much that you're so like caught up with this character. And I've joking, I've joked with people about this. Um, I've played the role of Tybalt a bunch of times in Romeo and Juliet. And everybody's always like, oh, Tybalt's such a great role. He's amazing. Oh, I love that role. Tybalt has like, 40 lines in the entire play and is dead by like act two of a five act Bro, play. Tibble dies? Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the thing is, the rest of the play, everybody keeps talking about Tybalt. So people leave the theater going like, oh, it's Romeo, Juliet, Mercutio, then Tybalt. 
And it's like, actually, no, Tybalt's not really around that much. Right. Yeah. But it's because he's talked about. Yeah. Um, um, it reminds me, this remind that this conversation reminds me of the amazing Ben Affleck. We talked about this two episodes ago. The amazing Ben Affleck uh, performance in Shakespeare Love, where he what is the uh where joseph vines is like what's the name of the play mercutio you know and he like tells him <laughs> that he's the star of the play and then mercutio yeah. dies and he's like the title won't do romeo and juliet just a suggestion and he's like you are a gentleman <laughs> and a scholar and ben affleck goes and you are a worsker shithouse that whole scene is so good uh, yeah. love that what is the play and what is my part what is the play <laughs> and what is my part yeah so good <laughs> And that was our Shakespeare um, Love podcast. Thanks for joining. Yeah, us. yeah, hey, thanks, thanks, for, ben thanks, thanks for coming. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how much we can even say about the movie without really diving into spoiler territory. Yeah, I, I think, don't want. I, I don't want to do that. But um, yeah, I, I, I basically really liked it. I think. I, I mean, I basically liked all these movies. That's what to I'm your point, Dan. I, like, I, I think, think the easy recommend would be to say the last two, Keeper of the Flame and Undercurrent, are the most easily accessible because they're kind of they're genre pictures. They're yep. fun. Yeah, they're quick. You're you will like them. Like I could not. I could recommend those to anyone. Mayor of Scotland, obviously, we liked in, in different varying degrees. I think. Um, you know, it's a little bit more of a chore, probably generally, um, but. Uh, that was I enjoyed that one, and then I think Sylvia Scarlet is way more of a kind of a cinephile movie, in as much as yeah. it is choppy, it is confusing, but it is forward thinking, and it does kind of speak to the career that she would have. Like when you think about the Lion in Winter, and you think about kind of her bigger roles, like African Queen, probably is the one actually when you think about it that's the most telling right when you if you want to track her career where i'm not a huge fan of that movie per se i feel like we've mentioned this before maybe in the humphrey yeah. Bogart one because you know he's in that as well i don't love the african queen but i do love her in it um and i think it that's a great kind of encapsulation of what she brought to the screen and that you know in that it's reductive to say tomboyish way obviously but she did have a lane she drove in and it's cool that in these four movies you kind of see her kind of go here and there like she diversifies which is really cool as well there there a uh, fun fact about the african queen i i had heard this uh, i don't know not not too long ago but that movie has one of the like earliest uh instances of product placement um oh interesting yeah there's is a the moment gin? yeah yeah the gordon's gin yeah um is uh, is like one of the first recorded, you know, th- sort of occurrences of of like active product placement where it's like, hey, put this in. Like, and it's weird because you like never uh, see product placement anymore. <laughs> yeah, of course, <laughs> never. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess how uh, Nate, how would you rank these movies? Like, where what would be your uh, one to four? W- number one best movie out of the bunch, I thought was Keeper of the Flame. Number two, Undercurrent. I put Sylvia Scarlet number three, and then I put Mary of Scotland number four. Ugh, yeah, I would do. <laughs> I would That's do fair. one. I would do one keeper, two two Mary of Scotland actually, three undercurrent, four. No, 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 no. I think I would do three Scarlet and four undercurrent. Actually, I like them all, but I, that's how I, I would do it. I'm gonna. I would do the same as you. I would swap the last two. 
I would do Keeper of the Flame, Mary Scotland, Undercurrent, Sylvie Scarlet, for sure. Interesting. Well, but we, um, but we kind of. I got to rewatch all... Mary Scotland, clearly. No, you don't. I mean, it's two hours long. It's <laughs> you know, kind of just I, you I, should... I just got to go by how it affected me. You I should watch it, Mary, Mary Queen of Scots and see what I, you think. I about need that one. to. I feel like I didn't know enough of it because right. I was like, I was Googling some stuff and I haven't seen Mary Queen of Scots. And um, I. I don't know. Maybe if I knew more about like the characters and stuff, I would have been more sold. I was just, yeah, I was expecting I mean, that movie, more from them. Yeah, that movie kind of got uh, buried, you know, two years ago, and you know what I mean. I don't think it got great notices, and you know, when you make a movie like that, and it kind of doesn't get get out in front of the critical, right? Like mm-hmm. when it's kind of a limited critical, whatever. I feel like it kinda, the movies get lost quickly. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like I said, I I didn't love uh, the 2018 version. Uh, Mary Scotland, I prefer quite a bit, but there are interesting things in that too. Um, what do we want to see from Catherine Hepburn in the future, guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess. Well, what did we do on Bogey? We just kind of talked about personal favorites, right? So, oh right, Nate, yeah. is there is there like a personal favorite uh, Hepburn performance or movie that we haven't talked about here that you want to just shout out? That you I mean, think we mentioned Adam's Rib. I think that is arguably the best Hepburn Tracy movie. Um, and I, we, we were emailing over this because, um, bringing up baby gets listed often. I mean, it's on the AFI top 100, I think that was a mm. big bomb at the time. That was part exactly. of the, that was box part of the box office poison. poison. Right. I think a better movie is holiday, which is written Agreed. by Philip Berry, who did the Philadelphia story. And yeah. it's also Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. Um, I think a year before bringing up baby. And I just, I find that movie to be a lot more fun. Um, you have Edward Everett Horton as one of the supporting characters in that, who just always shows up in these sort of light comedies and steel scenes. You got Cary Grant doing flips and tumbles and cartwheels because he was a trained acrobat. So yeah, Holiday is a uh, personal favorite. I, yeah, I really like... Uh, personal favorites of mine. I really like State of the Union, which is the um, Frank Capra movie. I was going to say, that's uh, Capra, right? Yeah, that's Capra. Yeah, that's a really fun one. And I really like Suddenly Last Summer. Oh, uh, sure. That's a really good one. Death Set is fun too, a little less so, but fun. And then the two I haven't seen that I'm going to watch like immediately because in doing this, you kind of rediscover it is The Rainmaker, which is with Burt Lancaster, the Joseph Anthony movie and Summertime. I've never seen the David Lean movie. I've never seen Summertime. So those are the two that I'm going to seek out after this uh, because those seem great. Well, there you have it. I mean, I, I called it out before, but if uh, and actually I meant to bring it up when we talked about our sort of non-Christmas Christmas movies. But Lion and Winter, a uh, personal favorite of mine, wonderful movie. Um she basically just going toe to toe with Peter O'Toole for the whole movie. And it's uh, magnificent. Such a, that's a great just, film. it's, it's, I think basically a perfect movie. Like I don't like the script is just like airtight. All of the performances are amazing. And at young Anthony Hopkins is tremendous. Timothy Dalton is amazing in that movie. He's got uh, a smaller supporting role in it, but he is also great. Um, yeah, can't can't recommend that movie enough. That and would be, I think, also my Gregory, personal recommendation. Gregory Lacava's stage door is really fun from thirty seven. Actually, um, she's like it's a more of an ensemble movie, but that's a, that's a good one to see Ginger Rogers not in a musical. You know, yeah. not doing the Fred Astaire Ginger Rogers stuff. 
Macabre was a good director. It's just, it's cool to, that's the other thing about these movies. It's like cool to like remember the director. You're like, oh yeah, like Gregory Lacava, like what a good director. You know what I mean? It's, that's, when you go back and you look, like we were talking about George Stevens earlier, like he's such a great director. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Lacava did uh, My Man Godfrey, which is that's uh, one of my one of my yeah. one of my personal favorites. I love that freaking movie so much. Yeah. I love that yeah. movie. I think that's about it. Is there anything else we want to kind of say on these four movies before we wrap it up? I think we're good. Nate, where uh, where can we find you? You want to just kind of tell us about your yourself before we shove off? Sure, absolutely. Um, I am. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I am uh, under the handle of Nate Washburn Actor. Um, I post little bits of projects I'm working on, little uh, weekly like movie recommendations, uh, and to to go with the classic Hollywood movie you should know, which are my little five minute YouTube uh, clips. And um, yeah, NateWashburn.com if anybody's interested in my website. Hell yeah! <laughs> what about you, Con Man? What's up? Where are you at? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find my byline on the film stage. Uh, you can find me also. I'll be you know taking part in the uh, cinephile game nights that we're going to be doing right uh, live with the film stage. Um, Oh, I gotta watch so keep that. An eye. I gotta, I gotta yeah, check yeah. that out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if Nate, we should we should probably have you on. I mean, I feel yeah. like you'd, yeah, I feel like you would crush it. Um, yeah, if you're listening, but, they've been probably going on for a couple of weeks, so definitely check them out. Um, yeah, I mean, is there anything else we want to say about that, Connor? Uh, no, I mean, I, I don't want to necessarily. You know, you can follow the film stage feed uh, or the cinephile feed to, to kind of get more info on that. Um, we're basically just you know we're holding these game nights, playing cinephile with, you know us at the film stage and some various people from film Twitter and, and all over the place um, just to kind of help raise awareness and hopefully money for uh, COVID-19 related relief funds and things like that. So um, just, you know, keep your, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. We'll be doing uh, live ones on a semi-regular basis. So that'll be really, really cool. Um, you can, uh, you can find uh, this podcast on twitter at tfsb side and also on facebook as well and dan where can people find you i am at dj mecca on twitter so you can follow me there uh writing for the film stage when i am allowed to just kidding when uh when i when jordan asked me and um yeah i will also be taking part in the cinephile game night so check that out and obviously follow us on at tfsb side i don't know if connor said that but it bears repeating if he did and um yeah, we got some exciting ones coming up on the horizon. Kira Knightley, good old Kira. Uh, and um, Nate, what's your favorite Kira Knightley movie? Do you have one off your back pocket as we wrap up? Anything that stands out? The one I'm going to put it out there. I think it it might have like broken her career was uh, Bend It Like Beckham. She was yeah. she's incredible in that. Good movie. Good good yeah. movie. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm a big fan of The Jacket. With Adrian Brody. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> good, good pull. Good pull. Um, I have seen it, but it's... A, yeah, as Daniel, have I did. I think I, I think I have a DVD of the jacket. Daniel Craig is in the jacket, so that's... He is. That he's is actually really... He's really good in it. He's got like a really tiny role. And he's, don't yeah. discount her Anna Karenina. I, oh, I thought I that was... That. I, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that. I Some people are not B-side, fans. I thought that was a great film. Yeah, yeah that movie big, is tremendous. Big fan um, of Anna Karenina, yeah. Quite quite enjoy it um and yeah i don't know with that that's our episode thanks for listening things are crazy everybody so just remember that 
Some men aren't looking for anything logical like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch Kate Hepburn. <laughs> 